Welcome to the Navigating Magic podcast, where we explore the connection between intuition, spiritual health, and your superconscious via conversations, interviews, and storytelling. Natasha teaches you how to generate change through your attention to energies, truths, and processes that are invisible to others. Together, we will explore the interplay between alchemy, astrology, and theurgy. I'm your host, Natasha. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the next episode of our podcast. I have a very special international guest with us today, Melanie Reinhardt, who has essentially given voice to the centaurs, Chiron and Chariklo, amongst others. She has written a number of books, including my absolute favorite book in the whole wide world, I'm going to say that, (laughs) um, named Chiron and the Healing Journey. She has won uh, a few prizes and prestigious awards for her exceptional service to astrology. And what sets Melanie apart from other astrologies is she has a unique combination of intuition and meticulous research. So welcome, Melanie. Oh, thanks, Natasha. What what a sweet intro. I'm just so excited to have you here because I can tell you um, before I I think I studied astrology, I went down the Chiron path. There was something oh. in me just inkling to so you mean that Chiron to, wow. to learn more that, about thank Chiron. You, thank you. Thank you so much for that comment because you know, um I I tried to write the book on Chiron so that it would be comprehensible even to people who had absolutely no interest and no idea about astrology. There you go, intention. Because I felt that some of what Chiron brought, as it were, given the timing of its discovery, you know, and um, it it was reviewed um, by by one person who absolutely knew no astrology mm. which i was very happy happy about of course and you know what i tried to do was sort of put concentrated chunks of astrology language astro- astrologies let's call it um so that people who really couldn't follow that could skip it without losing the trail of the whole thing if you see what i mean of course. And so it's wonderful to hear from you. That, <laughs> in a way, it was Chiron who brought you into astrology. That's so cool. <laughs> it, it really is. And like I think you've you've done the world a tremendous service through through the research and the way that you've been able to bring to life the mythology of Chiron in particular. Because we can all relate. To, to the healing journey in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And you know, um, certainly in the last decade or so, there's been more and more and more material being made public 
and you know partly through the internet and social media and all that um to do with the relevance of trauma in one's own healing journey and you know seen in a broader context it's really one of the core themes of everybody's life of course to whatever degree and now with things the way they are in the world at the moment that is being made shockingly clear on a collective level as well you know and we're we're all kind of part you know the healing journey that is not only about me and my suffering it's it is kind of global mm. and the awareness of that seems to me to have really come into sharp relief over the last decade or so in particular of course with some absolutely you know spectacularly wise people speaking mm. about it I think, for example, of the work of Gabor Mate, who I'm sure oh, you've heard I of. I love yeah. him. Absolutely. You know, one of the voices of our times, totally. Yeah. And and then also Thomas Hubble. Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, also Daniel Thor, who, you know, he's so, he's so operating uh, in a perfectly... Chiron worldview, yeah, bringing it into his work and you know standing in that place, and very also very much concerned um, with with collective healing. Yes, and what that means, and also Thomas Hubble as well. Extraordinary work being yeah. done by a lot of inspired people at the moment. And and I think what's like the insight here to gain to take away is that there's something about trauma that brings us together, that we see the suffering yes. in the other and we're drawn to that. We can't help but exactly. unite. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. And also, you know, there are so many examples one can hear about where you know, trauma and suffering have the potential to cut right through all of the artificial divisions like religion mm. and nationality mm. and political parties and all that stuff, which is just running riot at the moment. Yes. Uh, and it's almost like, uh, yeah, I, I said it, you know, trauma and suffering yeah. do have the capacity in the way that we respond to just cut through all of that rubbish you know it's 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 like an oxymoron it's a trigger point but at the same time it's leading us to a path of healing in itself yes yes indeed um you know when i when i painted when i painted the picture that's on the cover of the newer edition of chiron I put, yeah, oh, yes, so there you can see that, um, yeah, so the wounded part of Chiron is his animal half, okay, mm -hmm. and there are different versions of the, the myth as to where that wound was located, but it's always in either the thigh or the knee, 
or the lower leg. And that's so astounding astrologically because in terms of the rulership of the signs, um, I'm sure you know that, you know, and, and probably all the viewers know that there's a very ancient set of correlations with the signs of the zodiac and different parts of the body. Yes. And of course, that's crucial in medical astrology. And, you know, only a few hundred years ago, every doctor had to be an astrologer because all of their diagnosing and prescribing was actually astrologically contextualized. Yeah, just so wonderful. And even though, uh, needless to say, that's no longer the case in mainstream medicine. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to add. But at a symbolic level, there can be enormous mileage, healing mileage, let's call it, funny phrase, but still, um, in understanding those very simple correlations between the signs of the zodiac and the parts of the body. And it's something that you don't need to like draw conclusions from in terms of, you know, like a medical diagnosis. But if you can enter the symbolism, it really, really speaks. So back to the story of Chiron. So the three signs of the zodiac, which relate to the thighs, the knees, and the lower legs, of course, that is Sagittarius and Capricorn and Aquarius who are ruled by Jupiter, Saturn, and Uranus. And lo and behold, in the sky, in the astronomy, that's exactly where Chiron was discovered. It was discovered in between Saturn and Uranus and um, was later discovered in terms of its orbit. It actually crosses over the orbit of Saturn. Uh, and then becomes, for a period of time, I think it's 13% of its orbit, I forgot, but anyway, something. Um, it goes inside Saturn and then comes out again and goes very far out in the direction of Uranus. It doesn't cross over the line, and there's a... There's a there's a little subtlety here which I'd like to explain because you might come across conflicting information about this. Okay. Even, even if you look up Chiron in Wikipedia, um, there's some ambivalence about the diagram because the diagram is drawn, unless it's been changed by now, I don't know, but the diagram was drawn in such a way that it looks as if Chiron is also going through the orbital part, part of Uranus. But it doesn't actually do that. Mm. And, you know, it depends how it's measured. So I'll just explain this for any of, any of you slightly nerdy, <laughs> nerdy viewers who want to know the facts, you know. So the fact is that the, the, the orbital path of a planet will usually be drawn um, where it's the mean average distance. So it looks like, you know, a nice even line and so on and so forth. But there is a thing called a sphere. Now, this is not to be confused 
with the same word as used to describe um, aspects of the medieval cosmology, that being geocentric, so very important for us in astrology because we're geocentrically based. But then you've probably seen some of these gorgeous diagrams with the Earth in the middle and then the, the different spheres, as they're called, of the planets. Yes. So in contemporary astronomy, the word sphere doesn't mean that. What it means is the distance between the closest point in the planet's orbit, closest point to the sun, this is, mm -hmm. and the furthest away point. So the words are aphelion and perihelion. So um, the sphere is the difference there between the two. And the usual way an orbit is drawn linearly is the, the mean distance, the mean solar distance between those two. So back to the orbit of Chiron. Chiron enters the sphere of the orbit of Uranus, but doesn't cross the mean solar distance. Wow. So it's it's physically always on the inside of the orbit of Uranus, but gets incredibly close to the mean solar distance. And you know, in a way, that's that's relevant because that's where Chiron is now. It was in late May of 2021. That Chiron reached its furthermost point outwards. That was the ap the aphelion, mm -hmm. and so now, it it's just it's these few years right around now, are around the turning point, as it were, when Chiron is moving away from Uranus and getting ready, you know, to enter more into the solar system, and eventually will cross over the orbit of Saturn and be an inner planet for for a short period of time, you know? But the point is now it's moving on that on the inward arc, which is closer to the sun. So the last perihelion was in 1996 oh. when it was in Libra. So since then it's been moving out and out and out and out. And, you know, in the vernacular, we have the phrase far out. <laughs> yes. Out, out there, you know. <laughs> so that's that's been Chiron's journey since 1996. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just turning now on the, on the inward arc, coming more inward. And the symbolism is so breathtaking because we could see quite easily, I think. Of course. It's like the whole the whole world. Absolutely. Has been going further and further out there. Or let's say people's focus of awareness is, has been drawn more and more and more out, you know, out into outer space. You know, Lord knows how many rocket launches and all that kind of stuff. But also there's been a more and more and more dissociated tendency, of course, amplified by social media and the internet and all that. And, you know, while while none, none of us, I'm sure, would want to live 100% without all the above, I think, you know, like Chiron is now turning towards the inward arc and looking back, 
and seeing, oh my God, look what's happened. We somehow have to deal with this because there's been some incredibly destructive dimensions to, to all of the above. Yeah. Which we haven't really learned to manage very skillfully yet. That's my impression. Mm. So therefore, all kinds of destructive and addictive tendencies just get drawn up um, out of out you know out of the depths of our own unconscious. So the way all of the above has been used has been pretty unconscious. And I keep hearing things now on the uh, you know on the media that there's a lot of people really starting to call it out. Now, the, the, the immediate knee-jerk reaction is we must forbid or legislate or regulate and so on and so forth. And maybe that's true, but I think in terms of the healing journey, the issue is about consciousness and what we do with our own awareness, where it's placed, and therefore what kind of consequences it creates, you know. So that certainly is a theme, I, I think. And um, talking of the orbit of Chiron, just before we started recording, I said to you, "Oh, I just discovered something really cool, and I can't, I can't wait to, you know, find a place to put it in." Well, here it is, folks. So I said that the the last perihelion, it was actually, I said it was nineteen ninety six. Okay, so precisely, it was on the fourteenth of February, Valentine's Day. 1996. Wow. Wind on one year to the day, 14th of February 1997. That was the discovery date of Shariklo, the wife oh of Kyrie. God. <laughs> God, I know. So romantic and so that wonderful. Oh. And you know, here we are just a few days away <laughs> from the conjunction of Mars and Venus. Uh, in Aquarius, I mean, oh my God, so beautiful! But I, I'll tell you what I thought, and it's it's amazing because I, I have been working with Shariko for a while now. Yes, I never made the connection, but I just thought, oh my God! So there's Chiron on his inwardmost arc. So right after he gets to the perihelion, closest into the sun. So here we should say, of course, that in astrology, the sun represents that precious place uh, of, of individuality, of, of self. And because that goes across a variety of different levels, it's almost easier when talking about the sun to describe what it's like when we're not in touch with our center, but are operating from personality or ego um, solely. Yes. It's easier to describe that and go into endless, endless intricacy about the personality thing. That's easier than trying to find the words to really articulate the essence of what that energy is about. And actually, for my for my money, Dane Dane Rudyard is the one who really cracked that. Yeah, absolutely extraordinary, because he talks about different aspects of the physical sun as representing 
aspects of what the sun means in the horoscope, you know. But it is the center of our solar system. So it refers us to our own center. And that can get as deep as it goes, or it can rest on the surface and be personality and ego and all that kind of stuff. So I, I would want to speculate with the symbolism that it's on the inward arc of our own journey that the sense of connection with this really indefinable light that is at the core of all of our beings, that, that begins to be revealed. And so there comes Chiron after, you know, a long 50-year orbit um, going as far out as you can get. You know, rockets to the moon is nothing, but out there. Yeah. So always searching, always looking, etc. And that that theme is already in the sign of the centaur, which is Sagittarius. Um, and so you know how how lovely to be talking today um, with you located in a country, Australia, with the most incredibly Sagittarian chart you'll ever see. I mean, of course, there's several charts for different aspects of the history, but most of them all have an incredible stellium, meaning a group of planets all together, a whole herd of centaurs they have, you know. Yes. So Chiron has been, you know, he's been on the outer journey. He's gone as far out as he can get. And the journey still isn't over because then the inward arc follows. And there we could say, you know, just shortly after he has touched into his own most interior point at the perihelion lo and behold his soulmate appears oh. I mean, isn't that just incredible oh wow <laughs> so many things are running through my mind um regarding just the metaphor of 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 chiron in itself and then yes the symbolism between him and his wife on, on Valentine's Day of all days of the year. I know. But but as you were talking, I couldn't help but think about the the word etymology and even the the similarity between centaur and the mm -hmm. word center, like inner center. Yes, yes, exactly. And, you know, just to follow that trail a bit, because I'm a Gemini, lots of Gemini, and I love words and etymology. I'm no scholar, but I just love yeah. making associations so when when you remind me of the now there's a word for that in etymology when things sound where there's a there's a resonance in the sound between two words that maybe on one level don't have any technically etymological um similarity but it's there in this resonance of the sound so center and centaur, obviously, very similar. Um, and there is a word, I think it's called a homophone. Yes. Okay, so the homophone, centaur and center. We can also break the word down, center, centaur, and see tor, as in Taurus. Yes. And so the word centaur, to break it down with the, the Latin etymology, um, it means the rounder up of bulls, right? 
Yeah. So, like, um, you know, that's not difficult to imagine. But it it brings in very strongly the element of the 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 animal instincts, the animal kingdom, and of course, centaur is well half bull. Yes. Not half bull. It's half horse, but. Do you see where I'm going with this? Of and then course. we have the metaphor of the bullseye, which is the center of a target. And so in our own endeavor to get to that precious feeling of being on center, which is so hard to describe. And like I was saying earlier, it's very easy to describe how it feels to be not on center. We could go on forever with descriptions of that, you know, scattered, anxious, off beam. We could go on and on. Um, but the centaur represents the, the process of seeking for that precious experience, was, which is intrinsic to the healing process, actually. Mm. Um and so it is the, the the rounding up of the potentially wild and destructive energies, because in the mythology there's a whole uh, a whole um, genre of centaurs who are just that they're out of control, rampaging through villages, um, getting drunk, carrying off brides, the whole the whole works. They have a slightly different genealogy than Chiron. Mm. The father of Chiron was actually Kronos or Saturn, uh, which itself is interesting. Um, but in the image itself of the centaur, half human, half animal. And so these different kingdoms are intrinsically linked together in the image. So it's an image of potential opposites, the animal and the human. And that reminds me of um, uh, the ancient Greek philosopher called Plotinus, who, who is credited with the phrase, mankind is poised between the beasts and the gods. Uh, and the whole working of the process of Chiron seems to be about that edge, you know, between the beasts and the gods. Of course. And then Chiron was discovered in between Saturn, planet Saturn, and planet Uranus. So that's a very particular edge in our solar system because Saturn is the last outwards of the planets that's easily seen with the naked eye. I believe that some people can see Uranus, but that's not sort of common. <laughs> I, so I from heard Steve, Stephen Judd, the astrologer, I'm not sure. If yes, 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 I, I know Steve. Yeah. Say that he has seen a glimmer of the blue, blue hues of Uranus. Um, I'm pretty sure he said he was in the desert. So I was, was going to say he couldn't have been in England because <laughs> it's too <laughs> built up. 
Um, yeah, I know Steve, wonderful guy. He is. But anyway, so so basically that edge between Saturn and Uranus, from Uranus outwards, everything further out than Saturn, was discovered by a combination of maths and technology. It's not part of the visible sky. Yeah. That's a huge edge, you know. And it's it's in there that Chiron nestles, you know, so it's both an inner planet and also an outer planet. As if Chiron's pointing to a kind of a process um, which takes us beyond the dualism of the animals and the humans. Yeah. That stands as a metaphor for the confronting and, yes, I'm going to say reconciling of all manner of pairs of opposites. Pretty much pick anyone you want. And it's 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 like the, the friction and the potential conflict the the irresolvable conflict mm. the pressure of that and that that's going on literally all over the world at the moment of course and now i can't remember who first said this but it wasn't me and i don't know the exact quote but it's something about a conflict not being resolvable at the level at which it's happening einstein <laughs> oh okay thank you <laughs> <laughs> And really, that that's what that's what Chiron offers us. Yes, you know, whether whether it's the unhealable wound or the irreconcilable conflict, that is not meant to be a dead end in itself. It's just that our own our own limited knowledge and understanding at the time maybe doesn't take us far enough to where the process needs to go mm. and it's it's the pressure of the potential conflict or indeed the the suffering that we go through that may be the thing that opens the doors you know of course oh i know <laughs> sorry when you showed the the um, cover of my book i didn't finish that thought sorry that's very typically gemini very annoying but i i started talking about the wound in the lower part of his body and yep. then went off into jupiter saturn uranus but the wound is actually drawn as an eye mm. and then the footprints of the journey they're all eyes they are too so that's what I was trying to convey in an in, in the form of an image. Oh, the, the wound is it also a place of vision? It's like the eye opens. Oh my goodness! And I'm sure that probably most most of people most of you people doing this, you will know this experience. And it can be something you know very very dramatic or something very, very simple. And I'm sure probably most of you watching have had the experience of, you know, being sick with maybe maybe just like a normal head cold or something quite simple and common, but that puts you out of action for a couple of days. 
and if you're in hopefully you've had the situation where you've been able to kind of bow to that and go to bed for a couple of days and what an extraordinary process that can be so on the surface you know we just had a head cold and we went to bed for a couple of days and whatever but inwardly there can be a, a life-changing experience that's gone on in the meantime of course and you know because we we are encouraged with mainstream medicine um to kind of stamp out symptoms immediately which obviously sometimes that's really necessary but at other times we short circuit a whole process that may be trying to go on that just needs some space uh, and some good care and some inner attention that's the thing and so sometimes symptoms are like like the guardian spirit so to speak of a whole inner process that if we can take the time to honor that can truly yield magic and miracles truly absolutely and and i think the fact that you've um alerted me like i've never noticed it with the eyes and that the trail um in the artwork it's like how eye opening an ordeal whether it be like a simple headache or you know an, an infection or a virus or a more chronic um long-term illness how either it's the catalyst for a whole new version of you to be reborn or do you succumb to the illness and then go down that path because you you're almost defeated you feel like you're defeated yeah and I think it's the healing power that it's it comes from within because I don't think any doctor or any healer um, can prescribe you with something that you are not open to to begin with yeah it's so important with regarding I guess the whole internal process um with in 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 enlightening and, and I guess referring to the many layers that come with the healing process yeah exactly and just to say you know in terms of um illness or physical suffering and feeling defeated um of course it's horrible to feel that of course but it's also we think, you know, Saturn, Uranus, the visible and the invisible, and so forth. You know, we all know that our physical body is a temporary home, vehicle, however you want to phrase it, for our soul and its journey. We, we might kind of know that. That's a different experience than being confronted with that reality. So we might kind of know, yeah, you know, I won't go on forever physically. We might, you know, believe that we we go on in some form or soul. We might believe all that. But to actually be confronted with that, like, for example, maybe we, we have a serious car accident and it's a real major medical emergency mm. or even a disease we get that takes us right to that edge. And that feeling of defeat may not be the literal truth but on one level it's a spiritual truth 
because our fixation with the material plane and with things that are basically very temporary gets confronted in that moment. Mm. And that can feel the absolute pits. <laughs> so much so that we may do anything rather than go there and feel that. But that really is a fundamental aspect of our precious human life in in a in a body or as a body, however you want to phrase that. And so there, the opposites, the fundamental opposites are life and death. And that too gets brought in to this, you know. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is um, so many points for reflection here, I guess. Um, and I'm going to encourage the listener to really, um, you know, put up a mirror in your own lives and have a think about where have you experienced, you know, the the, the duality, as you say, between the, the visible and the invisible. And, and what can you do in order to, to merge the two together? And one particular thing that comes to mind, Melanie, is... When you mentioned that it's the the human um, and the animal it being symbolic of um, Chiron, I read I, can't, I think it was Jane Hardwick Collins. She's an Australian um, birth worker, uh, I guess you could say, and she teaches women how to give birth without experiencing any pain, which is profound. And it, it's for me um, that's a new concept, and. In a, a particular um, article that she's written, she talks about that a woman cannot give birth, um, you know, pain-free unless she taps into her reptilian brain, into her, the animal part of her body. And when you're in a, you know, a medical environment, you're giving birth and you're activating the prefrontal cortex because it's, it becomes a thinking process. But you cannot mm. give birth through thinking it you have to, it's the body that has to take you through in order to yeah. bring the baby into this earth. Beautiful. That so makes sense. It's just a beautiful, again, like it's another layer that how important the the animal body is. Yes. And the kind of, um, the kind of wordless wisdom mm. that locates there. You know, and you know, um, often people are surprised when, when talking about Chiron. When I say that, you know, I I don't interpret Chiron in a horoscope, in a birth chart, ever, unless it comes up in an organic natural way mm. in, in the conversation so if you listen to what somebody's saying and look at the visual cues as well you will hear the healing journey in motion and the symbol will start to come to life. And then the whole process of what Chiron is about can enter 
the conversation in a completely organic way without anything being imposed on the person. Because that's the problem with the written word and descriptive text and so forth. We, we tend to make that into something that's absolute or always like that and so forth. Which is why I, I was at pains to 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 write uh, in in my book, in the introduction to the sort of cookbook part of it, mm. that all those um, exact. Uh, so I used mostly the charts of historical figures, well-known people, etc., where they had a public life, and so yeah. one can see the see the footprints, you know. But in terms of, um, in terms of like the the journey of a client or someone that you're speaking to about their Chiron, um, it's a perfect opportunity to allow the symbolism to take on to take on its own life in a way that's true and real for the person whose chart you're looking at. Um, and in fact, to me anyway, that's a very good principle to work with overall with the horoscope. Oh, absolutely. Um, because there's something about the exchange between the astrologer and the person whose chart is under consideration and astrology itself so it's like we don't have to figure out everything so we do have to study and a lot of study mm. i'm sure there's many many people out there watching but you're already aware of that and, and the sense that the capacity to learn more it just goes on forever really yeah but there's a point at which all that learning and study and so forth um, has to be parked on the side, so to speak, <laughs> in order that, that the real dialogue or discussion or whatever has enough space. Mm. And I think I think that that's true, really, of of any kind of a reading with, with astrology. But it does seem that Chiron really emphasizes that. Um, because, you know, Chiron is not a planet, never was, never will be. Yeah. And that by no means <laughs> says that it's some kind of inferior object, you know. It's called a minor planet, you know, as if that's a kind of less than description. But it's really something very precious that's entered into uh, the field of our understanding um, in astrology. It's it's so interesting you note that because I know there are some astrologers out there who offer readings to people where they pre-record the chart interpretation and then they send it to you. And I just feel so disconnected from that because I know myself when I'm giving my clients astrology readings, some of the, the best nuggets of wisdom come through in that conversation, in that fourth. Exactly. Yeah. When when you mentioned that example of a recorded thing, 
um, you know, astrology is so full of mystery. And just when you think you've got it sussed, you cracked it, you know what that's about. Something happens, which that, that itself is very Saturn-Uranus. Just when you think you've got the structure that will give you some security, be it material security or a security of understanding. And so along comes Uranus and flip, it, it all goes um, upside down. So in that example of the recorded interview, I, I, I would say, well, you know, yes, it's possible to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I even know for sure, because I was involved in some legal stuff around this, that it it's not unknown for an astrologer to read from books, read from other people's books or their own book or whatever. And record that and pass it yeah. off as a reading yeah on one hand that's an outrage on the other hand you know on the other hand given that astrology is such a mystery it's entirely possible that there still is something within that reading that will ping for somebody and produce a flood of insight that maybe that was that was the way it happened you see and it is also possible uh, for astrologers who also have have respected and cared for any any psychic gifts which they might have to tune in into somebody at distance when they're not there and do a fabulous reading on that basis because they've managed to connect to the vibratory level of that person and that can speak you see mm. that's quite rare but i have had experience of that i mean as a client myself when i wasn't there and i deliberately didn't really say much about myself and had an absolutely fabulous reading so <laughs> you see but we we so want to know what's the right way to do something or what's going to work and what isn't work or what's acceptable or what isn't and so forth that that we might like shut down possibilities of the, the, the mystery tends to come through anyway mm. that would be my comment on it yeah so fascinating i i'd love to circle back to the, the concept of um, Chiron leading us now on a more internal journey. And I couldn't help but think about the upcoming in about two, two three weeks, I think just under yeah, two weeks time, we've got Chiron conjunct the North Node in Aries of all signs. I'd love to speak yes, exactly. about just the symbolism, but I feel like it's more enhanced this month. Yes. Yes, I agree. You know, um, I've noticed not not only in personal charts, but just in general. Well, when, whenever a planet of any kind, Chiron or any planet, um, whenever a planet contacts the nodal axis, whether whether it's sitting on either end of it or right in the middle, really does bring an absolutely huge emphasis to the qualities of the sign and of course the planet that are involved 
Now, the nodal axis is sometimes called the axis of destiny or sometimes the axis of fate. Some people would see fate and destiny as being two opposites, but hey, you know, it is an axis which goes from uh, from from one end to the other, but it's not a simple linear development. In some of the older books on the nodal axis, the, the picture that was drawn, which I never agreed with, was like of a straight line across the chart. Will you progress? Notice how invested we are in the notion of progress and where it's got us, right? <laughs> we progress from the past to the future. So from the south node, which is what we're supposed to leave behind and go with glory trumpets blowing to the north node. I mean, that's it so isn't like that. It mm. really isn't. The image I like is... Um, no, I've just forgotten the word for it. Oh, you probably know the word. So if you take a strip of paper, like if you imagine cutting an inch or so wide slice off an A4 pad, and if you make a circle and put the two ends together and then turn one end over, ah, yes. It's a Merbius strip. Mm. So there you have this figure of eight-like thing, but there's only one surface. It's like magic. So you, you do that thing, you take a strip of paper, match the ends, then turn one end over. And if you follow the surface with your finger, you will trace a figure of eight, but with only one surface. Yeah. So fantastic because it's the two becoming the one, right? And so when I teach about the nodal axis, that's the picture that I use. So it's not a straight line that goes from somewhere to somewhere. Life doesn't work like that. Yeah, That's a, a theory, but life isn't theory. Life happens in its own way, you know? So what that means is that the axis, in the interests of some kind of mysterious union and unity goes through a process of movement where one is meeting the opposites maybe sequentially for a short time maybe over a long period of time depending on the aspects you know in a person's chart but but when a planet contacts that axis it emphasizes the sign and of course the houses if you're looking at an individual chart and so you don't have to scramble with the question what does this mean all you need to do is use your basic understanding of the astrology basics so house sign aspects and if you contemplate those not in the endeavor to figure out what it means because that just gets in the way but if you contemplate the basics that you already know in a manner that leaves space for the thing to speak to you itself, mm. that's a lot more satisfying and usually a lot more accurate. So in terms of this axis, um, any, any of you who know your chart a little, you can see where 
uh, it's at, it'll be at 1727 of Aries. So find out where that point is on your chart, which house it sits in, and if there's any planets uh, in your chart that make aspects to that point. And almost guaranteed, if you just take some quiet time and look at what's happening in your life right now, you will already see. Because it's really close already, and it's only a month away. Yeah. So typically, when you know when a planet um, contacts a nodal axis, depending on the natural speed of movement of that planet, at minimum you'll see a period of about a month. Yeah, I'm talking from Jupiter outwards, Jupiter yeah. Saturn, a period of about a month when that theme is just written over everything. Uh, and so we're right in that period. So thank thank you for flagging that up, yeah. Natasha. That's great. And so here it's Aries. So we we might be looking at the theme of things being initiated, or us initiating something. Uh, look out for things that crop up or come into your life. Because there's a way in which the mystery of the nodal axis can often mean that things come into your life where you come across something, a chance meeting or a re-meeting that would be, you know, south and north yes. nodes. And I know, I know now from talking to people, I'm not the only one to whom this is happening. Contacts from way back are reappearing in my life um, in a fresh and new way or the, the sort of converse of that is meeting someone for the very first time where there's such a feeling of familiarity that it leads one to think I know I know we've already been together in other lives before so it's important I think to realize that that notion uh, is is part of a thought form, indeed a whole cosmology, which serves to give some description to that kind of a feeling. But to me, you know, however you cosmologify <laughs> that, it's the it's the feeling which carries the experience, and because that can be on the edge of great mysteries. The mind can go berserk, wanting an explanation, trying to figure it out, and so forth, which may or may not be necessary. Mm. But certainly the feeling is that typical nodal feeling of, wow, this was meant to be, or wow, I've been waiting for this all my life, or, you know, this kind of thing. So it's quite big stuff. And that doesn't have to mean a big external drama. That's that's an interesting lesson, let's say, of Chiron still in Aries, but past its furthermost outwards point and on the way back in. Mm. So this is the beginning of a journey where we really do learn that there are dimensions of experiences that are as real 
as something happening literally and tangibly and so on. But we've all, all of us, been brainwashed <laughs> by our education to not really believe that. Even though we think we believe it, that's a relatively superficial layer. But a bit further down, the whole collective thought form is profoundly fundamentalist materialist. I mean, it is. That's what this current world has been built on. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, exactly. And so there may be things which happen which serve serve to remind you, hey, there are other things at work than what you know about or maybe could ever know about on the level of the, you know, normal thinking mind, etc. And I'm not I'm not knocking that, but it's only one dimension <laughs> of how the mind works. There can be all kinds of other things going on behind the scenes, which is so fascinating, you know? Yeah. So I think, yeah, magic in a word. So absolutely, this is a time almost, almost to expect magic. And I say that with reservation because one of the things about magic is that um, it comes by itself. It often comes un unbidden. And at the deepest level, it's not something that we're entirely in control of. Mm. It's the mystery and the spontaneous, the spontaneity of life itself demonstrating itself to us. So I think we can we can see a lot of that kind of stuff around at the moment. And for me, I have to say, when I was you know preparing for our call and I spotted that thing with you know the Valentine's Day perihelion and the discovery of Charakla, I, I was wild with excitement here and thinking how fortunate I feel to be able to tell somebody about it immediately <laughs> with that's very Gemini, you know. <laughs> so I'm very grateful to you and your podcast for providing a space because I had truly never seen that before. Uh, and it's so obvious. I can't believe it, you know. Uh, my Virgo mind is so excited right now. I'm just, um, <laughs> just humbled and, and honoured that <laughs> this platform could provide that um, opportunity for you to share that with the world because, again, it's like the unfolding is a continuum. It's It's an ongoing process. It's exactly astrology is one of the best rabbit holes we could ever absolutely study endless, and learn and rabbit holes. <laughs> it's just and with its endless capacity to to give language to um or to offer in the symbolism a language which is descriptive of so many things that otherwise we'd be hard pressed to say anything at all about. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. It's, it's like just, a super language. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's it's my hope that more and more people, especially like parents teach their children um, you know, astrology from a younger age, because I think um our world would look very differently if we were all living in alignment. Because I think Part of the healing journey is to decondition from some of the societal expectations that are imposed on Absolutely. us. Absolutely. And there in, there indeed is another Saturn-Uranus theme because, you know, it, it, in yeah. this context, 
Saturn is our conditioning, and all of us have conditioning. It's not some terrible flaw. Yeah. It's what happens. And the conditioning is is partly to do with our socialization. And it can, of course, become very constricting mm. and oppressing, even. And also, mostly, it's unconscious or automatic. But when Uranus comes along, that's no longer possible because this <laughs> blinding light gets shone on. It's like, oh, wow, look at that. You know, <laughs> and the thing that's so interesting to, to me, anyway, is that, you know, the 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 immature version of that which is everywhere at the moment is that we see stuff conditioning saturnian densities that we really need to you know do something about mm -hmm. but we project it onto somebody else some other some they and make them into the problem and then we have to change them, reform them, eliminate them. That's the worst one, but it's happening, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and it that is a really fundamental polarity, Saturn, Uranus, you know, the visible, the invisible, the past, the future, etc. And they, they are, in a sense, unintegratable. And so how to work with the with them without engaging in that classic process of deny split and project yes that's the art and that's where chiron entered the solar system right into that field yeah you know? it's it's really fascinating when we are like observing human behavior in that regard um i'm a high school teacher and when I, and I sometimes do casual teaching in primary school and I'm so used to the teenagers that when I work with the five, six, seven year olds, I just, I get angst. And the one thing that I notice that's that adults have in common with five-year-olds is this concept of five-year-olds are very good at dibby-dobbying and, and telling on what the other student is doing wrong. It's like they're not supposed to be sitting there. That's not their pen. That's that's da da da. It's this ongoing process. Fascinating insight. Yes. And when you think about adults, like I've got people, you know, I make I'm making observations here about people in the world. Adults are still dibby dobbying and worrying about everyone else. It's like, hang on a sec. Exactly. Take a step back. Worry about yourself. You control yeah. your actions, your thoughts. You're not going to change the other. It's the internal change that has to take place. Yes. It's... I wonder myself. I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder. You know, what, what in future will be the extent to which what you've just described so beautifully will actually be the foundation for collective or political actions or non-actions. Mm. You know? But it does seem to me at the moment on this planet 
that there are such tragic and horrific examples of exactly what, what you just described there yeah. going on around us all the time at the moment, all the time and pretty much everywhere. Mm. Uh, and in that sense, displaying for anyone who cares to see exactly the consequences of that basically very undeveloped and immature way of thinking that that five-year-old yes. way of thinking that you described so vividly mm. that as long as that predominates uh, we will live in a world which is always at war yeah so the stakes are really high in terms of of us learning to understand of course. The, the consequences of the way that we think. Yeah. And I can't help feeling that, you know, Pluto's very recent entry into Aquarius has a reference exactly into this area that we're discussing, you know. Mm. Because, of course, the, the very sign of Aquarius, it has both Saturn and also Uranus. Yeah. So the traditional ruler is Saturn and the, the, the modern ruler is Uranus. And there the symbolism is perfect. Yeah. Sense of it's the last one of the air signs. So where we really do have a running chance of getting enough space in our own head to see and understand the very thought forms by which we are conditioned. Yeah, I do think this is an incredibly important endeavor. Because mm. if we, uh, if we don't have some space around that, we will just be driven by all of those thought forms, and in that sense, like brainwashed, you know. Yeah, and have our ha have our autonomy from the collective have that really compromised. And and I can't help but think about what you said earlier about the, the mythology of the wound on Chiron, either being the hip, the knee, or the ankles, and Aquarius ruling the ankles. And exactly. the, the symbolism of the ankles help us get up. We, we You cannot walk, yeah. cannot move forward without having stable ankles and healthy yeah. ankles. And so... I think that we're living in such interesting times and I think each month is rapidly changing, let alone the years to come. Yes. Yes, I, I really agree with that. What a time to be alive. <laughs> I know. It is it is pretty amazing. And And how wonderful it is to be able to you know, spend an hour or so, oh, well, it's morning here, let's say an hour or so of a morning, <laughs> um, you know, having such a rich conversation. I, I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy woman and I think um, you've you've given me and the readers and, and the listeners so many points of insight and reflection and I think a, an avenue for people to explore their own healing in, in their own lives and more so their place in the world 
you know, when you mm. offer your identity and, and your gifts and you're able to share that, I think um, you're a true testament to that because like I said earlier, your book has changed my life and it's it's led me down just to study astrology in more depth and um, the more I learn, the more I'm intrigued and the more I want to to not only share this with others and teach others about it, but to, to see the lived experience. Because it's I, I was, was going to say to to live it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I thank you. Um, I'm going to encourage people to buy your book. I know thank you've you. others, um, but Chiron and the Healing Journey. Um, I know you've written about Saturn and Chiron, um, and there's there's articles out there. But thank you so much for your time, Melanie. This has been a treasure, and uh, I'm so honored and grateful for you. Well, thank you so much, Natasha. It's been a while and there were a few delays, but this conversation for me, it was worth waiting for. So thank you so Absolutely. much as well. All the good things are always <laughs> waiting for. Yes, <laughs> Wherever you're listening from, if you can give thank us a you. review and okay. a five-star rating, that would be so helpful in supporting this podcast. If this lights you up and inspires you, then please make sure you share this episode and reach out to me and let me know. I am beyond grateful and so blessed to call this work. Together, we learn, grow, and evolve. Staying anchored in your heart means staying anchored to your humanity. All my love, Natasha.